Welcome to Auckland Conversations, ideas for becoming the world's most livable city. Great. Um, um, kia ora everybody. Um, good evening. Um, and welcome. What a great crowd. Um, on behalf of the Auckland, Conversa- Auckland Conversations team, uh, Auckland Council um, and our partner sponsors tonight, which are Product Spec, um, welcome to tonight's Auckland Conversation. Um, make life better with Will Wilson. Great title for the conversation. Um, I am Ludo Campbell-Reed and I am Council's uh, Design Champion. I'm also the General Manager of the Auckland Design Office and I'm also the proud sponsor of these um, events and the, the programme that have been so for 10 years almost um, next May. So it's a long, a, a long time and, uh, and the changes that have happened and occurred have been incredible. So um, would you all mind putting uh, your hands together for Susan Quinn, Jean Cathcart and the Walker Conversations team who put on these uh, incredible sessions. Um, um, these, these conversations, conversations are designed, designed as a, a bit of a behaviour change, change strategy, strategy. Um, but they're, they're designed, designed to inspire, to excite, um, to inform you, and uh, tonight's session with Will is going to be a showstopper, I believe. So before I begin, a couple of housekeeping issues. Um, in the event of fire, there's a very loud sort of um, bleating sound that you'll hear, um, will be unmistakable. And um, if you could make your way to the exit, there's one on my left here. Um, the one on the right is actually covered up, so with boards and so forth, there's stairs to the back, stairs to the back left, and also exits around uh, those areas, those ample uh, places to, to exit. Um, if you need a pit stop, ladies and gentlemen, there's a, a, a ladies and gents to the back at the far left, so um, they're there for your convenience. Um, um, we're also, also live streaming tonight, everyone, so um, this event is now going out to uh, a slightly global, global audience, and uh, so be the best behaviour, or not. And um, for those of you that are tuning in from the comfort of your, your lounge or your tea, uh, with a glass of wine, Kyoto and welcome to uh, Auckland. Um, in terms of social media, we also have a um, range of options. I'm just trying to click this forward. Okay, 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 I'm just going to leave it. Uh, let's go back a bit. Hmm. We go backwards, guys. Okay, so I just want to make a, a couple of announcements. Um, these sessions are a really big deal now. We've got 800 people here tonight. It's extraordinary that, um, that all of you have come here to give your time up um, for free and uh, just engage in these conversations. I'm just really thrilled. Um, but without you, we obviously couldn't have these conversations. Uh, but without our sponsors, and I'd just like a couple, make a couple of mentions of our are some headline sponsors for some time now, which are um, Rosine and Jib. So uh, from Rosine's, um, Karen and team, thank you so much for all the support you give us. As I said, we couldn't do it without you. And also yes, Nicole, Nicole and the team, team from Jib. Um, um, really, really thank you guys. guys. It's, uh, it's a very small budget. We can make it go a hell of a long way, and it's really down to you guys. So um, thank you very much. Um, also sponsoring us are program sponsors. And you can see that the teams are, are building as the, as the capability and also the, um, the penetration of these conversations, conversations happen. So, so thank you to all these people. people. Um, would you all put your hands together and thank our sponsors? Thank you. Tonight, um, look, I'd just like to have a chance to talk a little bit. Will, welcome. Um, it's really great to see you. I've known Will for uh, many, many years. In fact, we sort of met back in the, the late 90s, and I think that was when uh, that 2000s when the Sterling Prize was 
won by Will's team for the Peckham Library, really sort of um, just took things to another level in terms of architecture and design. Um, we've worked together at Canary Wharf on um, quite a few projects and um, drunk together on, on numerous other projects. And like, but I can't remember any of those places as well, but it must have been a good time. Um, so it's really great to see you, and I've just enjoyed having uh, time with you today already. Uh, you've arrived at a very um, exciting time in Auckland's history, and I tried to explain a little bit today, um, a little bit about that. So there's a real buzz in the air, a, a real excitement about the city, about its future. Um, it's really palpable to me, and I, I hope it is to you. It's not just the weather. You know, at the end of the day, there's a lot of going on. There are cranes everywhere. Three years ago, there was nothing. I can see one crane out of this window. There's 25 in the skyline, just around around the central city alone, and you can see them popping up across the city like some dinosaur heads. As they they are. We've come a long way um, in a very very short space of time, and I would say that Auckland's got a bit of swagger about it. And the swagger is an interesting word because it sounds like it's arrogance, but it's not. It's about confidence, and there's a new confidence happening in Auckland, and it's a really really exciting time to be here. So. Um, um, but it wasn't all that long ago, ago it wasn't all that, that well thought of. And this and is interesting, this slide is uh, taken from Metro magazine, Simon Simon's here tonight. Simon actually wrote the article, um, Simon Wilson, and it was um, really kind of got me going. And interesting enough, within this Metro magazine was an article on, on Willsop and some proposals he had for downtown Will for the Brittemont project. So in 2009, not very long ago, there was, there was a view, a view that, that Auckland's urban design was its shape. And so here we are in a very short space of time. This is 2014. And this is the coming of age of the, the new Auckland. What the F? This isn't Auckland. How did it happen to my town so fast? Think about what the city was like four years ago. No Wynyard Quarter, no Britomart, no Imperial Lane, no City Works Depot, no Auckland Art Gallery, no Q Theatre, no Fort Lane, no shared space Elliot thingy. <laughs> so many things that define the city now just didn't exist before. So in a very short space of time, the city is transforming itself. And, you know, it's exciting time. So I just want to take a... And the interesting thing, I suppose, when in 2006, not so long ago, people told us that Aucklanders would, would never appreciate great architecture or great public buildings. And this is the Auckland Art Gallery. Um, actually, in 2013, I'm struggling with the um, Twitter here, World Building of the Year, commissioned by the council. Uh, great buildings need great clients just as much as they need great architects. Tiaro just recently opened, more recently. It's extraordinary outside, and it's even more extraordinary inside. Devonport Library. You know, these buildings have come very quickly. This is Ian Atfield's design. Absolutely fantastic. You know, legacies. I was told that Aucklanders, that retailers would never give up their car parking in front of their shops and restaurants for fear of losing business. Well, um, we've delivered shared spaces across the city. Fort Street has been transformed. People are flocking back to the city. I was also told that it would be an economic disaster um, to, to do that, but we've built new laneways, we've put wonderful public art, this is the Minotaur's cotton as it goes through and wraps through the city. Um, we're also told that it would be economically a disaster. Well, in Fort Street, we've had 440% uplift in retail hospitality takings post-implementation of the programme. 
So what else? We were told that no Aucklanders would ever want to promenade on their waterfront. Um, this is 2009. Um, all that was there was a fish and chip shop. Well, here we are today, Aucklanders promenading in their thousands on the waterfront, eating fish and chips, of course, but doing a lot more than just eating fish and chips and winning international awards. And so going forward, you know, where are we going? Here's Key Street, a soulless boulevard where you could see sort of tumbleweed go past. This is our waterfront, north-facing Harbour Edge property. And this is the project, and this is the scheme that's been approved by the council. Um, let's, I'm not sure why these aren't moving fast enough forward, but here's the proposal. Wide open boulevards, place for children to play, maybe a diving board off the end of Queen's Wharf, get people swimming in the harbour again. And here's Queen Street today, um, better than it was before, but this will be the, the future going forward. I'm sort of struggling with the light rail at the middle of Queen Street, um, shared spaces, people, people, people. And here, going forward, in the next five or six years, this project's been approved by the council again. Um, old tarmac streets will be transformed into park space for pedestrians and for people of Auckland, because that's what people of Auckland deserve. They deserve better than what they've got. And here we have the waterfront, really, where we started Auckland and where Auckland needs to take its next steps. But places for people, yes, but it's conflicted, it's constrained, there's not enough space. And so the projects that we're proposing for Auckland would be some steps down into the harbour so people can actually swim off the edge of their harbour into the, into the Watamata. So I was also told that uh, cycling was a disaster in Auckland and no one would ever do it because it was too hilly and the weather was too bad. Well... This project will be released on the 4th of December. It's a partnership with the New Zealand Transport Agency with Mr Key and, and Bridges and the Mayor uh, working on a new cycling superhighway uh, which will be opened on the 4th of, um, of, 4th of December. And uh, you'll see the transformation taking place in the next few weeks. We're having a cycling revolution in case anyone didn't realise. And there's some $300 million over the next three years going to be spent on cycling alone. Um, so this is what we're going to be doing in Auckland. So, We've come a long way, and uh, the team are very proud, but the people in the room here, everybody in the room today, are part of that journey. And going forward, we'd like to put a cycleway across the Harbour Bridge uh, called Skypath, and it's just a fantastic idea. Um, so, that's me. I wanted to thank everybody in the room, I guess, for being part of this journey, and I hope you also understand the excitement and the changes that have happened in a very short space of time. But there are still some issues that need to be tackled and they are quite systemic and quite endemic in our, in our DNA. So, that's us. Um, I hope you have last slide. Just struggling a little bit there, not too sure. So, before uh, we move on to our sort of main event, I'd like to introduce um, John Thompson. John is um, the Chief Executive of Product Spec. Um, He's the uh, founder of Product Spec. He trained as an architect um, at the Barber School of Architecture, University College London, before returning to his mother's homeland in 2003. Based in Wellington, he set up Product Spec, a national building product database, and Smart Spec, and now an online specification writing system, and does his best to bring amazing speakers to New Zealand. John has worked in conjunction with Rosine and Jib to bring real soft to us in Auckland, as well as Christchurch, Wellington, and Sydney. Please welcome to the stage, John. Okay, stop clapping, everybody. <laughs> uh, excellent lecture, Ludo. Thank you for that. Have we got some time left for Will? Yeah. 
<laughs> Just a little bit of collector coats on the way out, ladies and gentlemen. Um, that was good. Like, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk for 30 seconds, um, if not. But um, my role here really is to uh, um, thank the sponsors and just let you know a little bit about why we brought uh, this side of the world, I guess. And just in terms of sponsors, Nudo did a really, really good job of mentioning our friends in Rosine and Jib, and we brought them on board for the national tour that we've organised with Will throughout New Zealand and then Sydney tomorrow. And it just tied in beautifully with the fact that they were already sponsors of the Auckland Conversation series. So, um, on behalf um, of, of Product Spec and of Auckland Conversations, again, thank you to Rosine and to Jib for the video. Um, um, I've got a, a short, short video, video that Jeff produced, produced and I wanted to show you this quickly. Um, this, this is, is the Tuuru Gallery yeah. and it's uh, recently opened. Uh, beautiful building, fantastic artwork. Please do go and visit. Uh, Jib product used throughout, level 5 finish to the, uh, the gallery space. Um, beautiful play of shadows and light throughout the building and uh, really working well with the artwork within that. Jib are working with creatives now, so architects and designers, to produce videos on how they work, their inspiration and modus operandi, and you can pop into the JIB website, sign up, uh, go on the draw to win some terrific prizes as well, so that's from our friends at JIB, perfectly timed. Uh, <laughs> so, um, uh, another thing to mention quickly, uh, we did a workshop with Will today, and that was at Studio One Toy Toy. Which, which is, is um, in, in conjunction with Auckland Council, it's an Auckland Council associated or run space, it's a working gallery, it's number one Constantly Road. Um, we had a brilliant time this afternoon, we had eight architects and designers there, and Will, and a workshop with a 10 minute canvas that we'd set up, uh, lots and lots of paint that were kind of supplied by our friends at Brazil. And it was, um, we had a lot of fun with this 10 meter artwork uh, over the period of a few hours. Um, it is on public display Thursday, Friday, and Saturday of this week. So if you want to pop in, uh, it's open during daylight, uh, regular daylight time, pretty um, regular hours, and it's uh, free to go and see it. There'll be images up there showing the progress. It's number one on Sunday Road, and it's with Mike Echo, Echo, Jungman, and her team there for being really hospitable and helping us to arrange that and gain from the council for enabling us to utilise that space as well. So that's so all the, the niceties nice done, done. Uh, and now um, I just want to um, say a couple of words about Will. Um, Ludo went well eight years ago, I went well on Saturday night. For the first time I knew all about before that, as Ludo mentioned, I studied at Bartlett. And when you studied at Bartlett alongside um, wonderful beings, like human beings like Peter Cook, Sir Peter Cook, uh, you do come across and you do hear tell of and you do hear lectures from uh, other uh, Illuminati uh, within that genre, and indeed Will Allsop uh, is, is one of those, and we heard tell, and um, we saw lectures in London, and uh, we knew all about Will, and so when we decided to, uh, to set up our, our speaker series at Product Spec, um, this is the first one we've done, and Will was kind enough to kind of jump in, uh, decide to come across this side of the world, and come on this, this speaker tour. We sort of codenamed it Starchitect. Uh, but we didn't dare tell Will that because no self-respecting architect would come to something called Starchitect. They just couldn't quite bring themselves to do it. But nonetheless, it's been wonderful getting to know Will. He is indeed a gentleman, a scholar, and an excellent judge of bad drink. Um, ladies and gentlemen, if we could please invite to the stage Professor Will Alsop, OBE, RA. Up we get, sir. Oh, it's a long way up there. 
wasn't my first, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Now, good. They do go around. Thank you very much for to Ludo and uh, Ludo used to be at Tower Hamlets. If he went back today, he wouldn't recognise it. It's better since you left. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. And it's very nice to see all of you. And I think this is my third time actually in Auckland. And I do enjoy coming here. So it was no effort for me to come here at all. I leapt at the opportunity um, to come and see all of you, and as well as Ludo. And I would like to say thank you to, to John, who's worked very hard. One of the most considerate Irishmen I've ever met. <laughs> I haven't understood a word he said since I arrived, but anyway, not to worry. <laughs> now, this is a talk. I did give this talk um, on uh, Sunday in Christchurch and again last night in Wellington. And um, poor old John has to hear the same jokes over and over again. But in both cases, this, this talk is much longer than I have tonight. I think I have probably about 50 minutes. Is that right? Um, last night I had two hours and then we got halfway through. Okay. This is quite a challenge for, for me. Um, but before I get going, and I, there are big chunks of this I'll just miss out because I'll just try and focus on the things that I think you might be interested in or have some relevance, and uh, I think that's okay. It doesn't matter, and we won't get to the end, and Ludo will tell me when to shut up, and that's fine. And then I think we're going to go over there and have a meaningful conversation. Good. With everyone, yeah, all, all of you. You say what you like, but don't be rude. Uh, I'd just like to know for my own information, can you put your hand up if you're not an architect? Oh, you're the people I really like. <laughs> can you put your hand up if you're an urban designer? You're the people I really don't like very much. <laughs> However, we can argue that. I'm just setting you up there so we can, we can discuss that. And things might come out. Now, that's more or less the way I feel. <laughs> bit beaten up, still running, <laughs> and that's okay. I don't mind that. But look, I used to be younger. I know this, this slide leaped out before. And you're supposed to say at that point, you don't look any different. <laughs> Till you say that, you don't look any different. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're such a kind audience. That's, that's, that's great. I do a lot of different things around the world, and I'm just going to sort of race through a few things and we get to where we get to. But one of the things I do, because I, I don't really believe in any methodology as to how to produce architecture or indeed planning or anything else. I think it sh should be taken at, at, its own, at its own merits, re relevant to the place, relevant to the people. And I like working with people, the non-architects in this room, a lot. I think they're usefully mad if you, do it, if you approach it in the right way. And there's two words which I hate, which is, which is um, public consultation. <laughs> no, I love working with the public. But and it has come to me, and particularly in some planning commissions in the countries I do work in, I've never worked here, is that it's tick boxing. So by the time I get to the, to, to the public, I've already done it, really, more or less. And therefore it's measuring whether you like it or not, and very often you don't. So that's not very really good, so that's a waste of time. So I think one has to start from the ground and then work your way up and carry everyone with you, and it's as much your project, non-architects, as, um, as, as mine and also the, I hate this word, other stakeholders. I wish I hadn't said that. <laughs> other nice people that are paying. <laughs> so that's right. But I use different techniques to do things. And um, 
I paint. This is in Italy, early in the year, this year, and I, they gave me, which made me feel really old, a Lifetime Achievement Award. Can you do it? They also gave me this lady, um, which is better. painting in a car park. I like, to, I like to get my hands dirty, although with the, uh, with the people that I was working with today, I didn't personally pick up a paintbrush because I didn't bring any old clothes. And not even for you, much as I love you, am I going to get paint on this jacket because it's extremely expensive. And there you go. But I think painting is a very loose way of working. It actually can expand the mind, and the whole idea is you can begin to see things that you didn't know before, rather than relying on what we might call these are two other, other another two bad words, best practice. <laughs> Hear it all the time, don't you? Best practice. It's probably worst practice, I, I think, because best practice means that it's already been done and it's not particularly inventive. One needs to go and try and break new ground. And I think from what Ludo is saying on some of the things you're doing here. Some of it doesn't break new ground, but it's, it's, it's best practice. Some of it is breaking new ground, and we can have that debate a bit later as to which is. But the more new ground you, make, you, 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 you break, the more th people will want to come to Auckland. And why wouldn't they want to come? It's a lovely place. I'm looking at you. <laughs> Very nice face. But there are other ways. I write a lot, and this is a blatant advertisement, for this book, which you can buy, and it's reloaded in the spring next year. But it's a very nice man who sadly died just before. He never saw it published. He'd finished writing it, called Tom Porter. But we did it through conversation, and it seemed to me that conversation is the key to everything we do. So we have paintings, we have some writing, and we have conversations, different ways of getting into projects, and I think that's important. And then we have friends. I'm going to really race through this, if I can. Um, Bruce McLean, some of you might know, is a, is a great friend of mine. To put it in a childish way, he's my best friend. And we go to the studio in Menorca, and we, we just do stuff. And it's what I call the real practice of architecture, is you don't know what you're doing, but you, you discover stuff which might be applied or might become relevant two or three years later. You don't know. But we do that, and I think it's... Uh, wonderful thing to do. It starts off in the morning with a session at about 7.30 till about 10.30 gets too hot. You then go off and have breakfast. You then go off and have lunch, a bit of a swim, and then you have the gin and tonic session at about 5.30 until dark. So, hey, what's wrong with that? But you get a hell of a lot done, you know. And for example, this one, which is obviously clearly playing with shadows in the bright sunlight there, has had a relevance in a number of my projects later on. So I'm just trying to make this connection between playing and having, most importantly, having the time to play and what you might do, but maybe not immediately. You don't always know why you're doing it, but it becomes apparent later on. Now, I was going to talk at length, but I won't, about Potsdamer Leipziger Platz. Well, I'll say a little bit, because it's, it's relevant, I think. When the wall came down in, in Berlin, of course, it was a very exciting moment. And at the same time, they had pointed a new overbar director, that's chief planner in, in Anglo-Saxon terms, but a bit more than chief planner, they're in, in charge of the garbage, everything. And actually, that's really good, because you, if you're trying to do something and you're having a meeting, you need this one person, and he can control all the other departments in the council. That's good. But this particular guy, he'd been 
Oberbadrutsche in Lübeck, which is on the Baltic coast of, of, of um, Germany. And didn't suffer, it was a beautiful city, small city, all brick, didn't suffer any damage during the war. And his main job there was to protect what was there and uh, to add some useful new things, contextual and all of that sort of thing. And he did a good job. He then moved to a city which had been wrenched apart, riddled with political and, and uh, lots of naughty streets. And uh, I mean, it's a wonderful place in the, in the end. And of course, it continues to be a wonderful place today. And, you know, they had this competition as to how to put the Potsdamer Leipziger Platz back together because that was completely destroyed and that was really part of it was no man's land. But he had an idea that nothing should be more than six or seven stories high. And it was a limited invited competition, which I did. I did it with Bruce, um, my friend. And all the time we did the competition, there were instructions coming from the council, which were in direct conflict with the landowners, which was Sonny, ABB, people like that. Very difficult. We're just humble architects. You know? that's, what, that's all we do. Where do you place yourself within that? And we developed a strategy, which I don't particularly go into. But what I wanted to say, there was eventually a winner, which was not us. We did come third or fourth, but that's, a, that's losing, isn't it? And, um, <laughs> but it was quite good. There's a lot of furor. And, um, but see, on the, on the right there, that's Leipziger Platz. Rather a dull figure ground. There was nothing there at all when I went there, but that's how it was. And that's what they rebuilt. I must say, this is probably the most boring, tedious bit of public open space, in the, possibly in the world. There is no reason to go there, partly because of the scale, and because it didn't move things on. So it was an historic decision to keep the figure around as it was, which, you sort of, of course, you can understand. But then you've got to work harder, haven't you? You've got to do something with the, um, with the landscaping and to give a reason for people to go. There's no reason for people to go. And then on the other side, which was really the center of everything naughty in, 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 in Berlin in the 20s and the 30s, Potsdam Platz, they built much higher buildings anyway, so the six, seven-story thing didn't work there. And that's also sort of tedious. I'm sure that many of you in this room have been there and walked around this area. I think it was a missed opportunity in what was perhaps the most interesting place to think about in the world at that time. Bruce and I developed the whole thing through paintings and um, which were like this, and then obviously went on to the computer later on. And I haven't got time to talk about computers, but I w maybe that might come up. Um, I'm not against computers. And that was good to see the strategy here was to do six or seven stories. And then at the end, away from Batsdam Platz, you can then build a tower. And that's just pure negotiation between the landowners and the council. We didn't care, but I think we hope the ground work. Anyway, it wasn't to be. Now, where you work is quite important, and because it affects the way that you work. And there are lots, I'm sure there's no architects in this room, that actually work in what looks like accountants' offices, but they do exist. That's no good at all. And if clients go to see them, they might be seeing their lawyer or accountant. Or, but they certainly, you would never know that actually it's a creative place lively, thinking about things, possibilities, which is our, our job, and to work with other people. This is my office in Bremen. You see, it's not exactly a boardroom, is it? And we had welding equipment with the bits of cut-up um, cut ship outside with steel, 
Um, we had cranes that worked. We had computers as well. Hey, that's pretty, pretty good. You can do anything, and you have a lot of space for a lot of parties. Yes, it's important. Well, sometimes you work with other architects. I'm just trying to speed this up. And this is an early project, um, which is invented by the mayor of Erreville St. Clair in Normandy, with the support of central government in France. And this is like a game of consequences with four different architects. That's me at the bottom, because I didn't want to do it. Uh, anyway, shopping and an aviary. Then above that is Massimiliano Fuxas with offices. And then above that is residential by uh, Otto Steidler, but he's uh, sadly not with us anymore. And above that is Jean Nouvel with a Chinese restaurant. You know that because it's gold and black. And a hotel on top of that. What interests me is, I mean, in, on one sense, it's clearly an absurd building. But what interests me about the French, particularly at this time, is they took it very seriously. We didn't build it in the end, but it was great fun. But more importantly, from my point of view, I became friends with the other three, and Ceylon <coughs> with the two surviving ones. And I think that's important. It doesn't mean to say you want to work like them, but you do observe that people work in different ways. So Jean Nouvel, for example, doesn't really draw. I'm not sure he can draw, actually, which I, I would normally complain about. But in his case, he has a man called Olivier Brasson, uh, who's a sort of poet, straight philosophy. And when they get a new project to think about, they go out for lunch. And they talk, and they talk, and they talk, and they talk things into existence. It's equally valid. It doesn't matter. How I, so I, I just want to, I'm trying to distance myself from anyone. And there are lots of architects in the past that say, this is how things come into being, and this is what you should do. It might come into being for them in a good way, and might be useful. Why they should have the arrogance to think that we all have to do that, God only knows. You know, and then on today, and I'm, sure, I'm not sure what happens here, you have people, other layers on top of that, like placemakers. Anyone a placemaker here? <laughs> so, <laughs> excuse me, you've got a bad stomach? No. Um, <clears throat> They are a waste of space, because all they do is to tell you what has been done in other places, which is good to be aware of what's happening in other places, and there are things like Rotterdam Council, for example. They send all their councillors off related to the planning and urbanism. They go off twice a year to look at things in other cities. Hey, that's great, because certainly in the UK, uh, and I've mentioned that to some other councillors in the UK, that we couldn't possibly do that, because they would, the, the, the ratepayers would think we're going off on a jolly. But actually, the result of that is they don't know what you're talking about. So, I mean, that side is, is useful and it's sort of educational, and I think that's the way it should be. So if you're a politician trying to make some decisions or contribute towards some decisions and some objective and some vision, you do need to know what's in that world. Then you need to work hard with your other consultants to try and get beyond that in something better than that marvellous thing you saw in Barcelona or whatever. Why would you repeat Barcelona here? You don't need to, and the climate's different anyway. Not that different, actually. But anyway, you see what I'm saying. So we have all these sort of hangers-on. And all they do is take fee out of you, and now talking to the architects, out of your fee. That's a nonsense, isn't it? Because you need a certain amount of money to do things properly. And that's, that's the point. I'll skip over this office building I did in... Where did I do it? Uh, Dusseldorf. Anyway, and refurbishment. I like doing all that sort of thing. This smaller scale project, which is in um, Valencia, and it's there for a while. And um, 
we produced what we called a department store. This was the department of sitting, and let me get a better. This is the department of reading, and the stories. Um, there's a whole story on the top of each of each table. You can read the floor. You can read the walls, and the, these stories were commissioned. The three Spanish and three British, uh, three English uh, writers, and. Um, it's also reproduced on the underside in case you spend too long in the department of drinking and you're on, on the floor. But it worked. Beautiful. Lots of people came. This is the department of dance. And this, to me, is an important element, is that each of these um, granite sets is set on an individual spring. So it was very difficult to dance on this. But actually, the dance troupe that actually worked here thought it was fantastic because they discovered through the floor, you just change one dimension, that actually they could move in completely different ways. And then they, they continue to use that in, in, in the future. So sometimes physical things can have an effect in a useful way. It's the Department of Beauty, a pool of perfume on the floor. You can see your reflection in the perfume. And you can have a mad haircut at the same time. Department of Drinking, and that's just as often in the white side. Anyway, I sometimes think to do something for six or seven months is as useful as doing something forever, or nothing's forever, of course. Also, scale. This is a small cafe I did in St. Helier on the beach. I can't remember the year, it doesn't matter. Um, we did this on the beach. There's a nice, quite a nice beach off to the right. And the idea from the council is to build this and it would open at about Easter, in other words, in season and close in early October. It has never closed because the locals took it on board and they use it all year round. And it's quite, I suspect it might have something to, to do with having really good wineness. But anyway, that's something else. And I could go on. Oh, that's the Department of Drinking back in Valencia, where you could play the bar. There were microphones between concrete, wood, steel, glass. And therefore, you discover that actually, by putting your glass down, you can make different sounds. Then, uh, the opposite end is 100,000. I think this can't. Oh, yeah, 100,000 square meters of building. This is back in 1990. I beat in Marseille, where I beat Norman Foster, and it's a centre of regional government. And what interests me about there are a lot of interesting things about this building, I think. But one of them is by placing it in the north of Marseille, which is a very run-down part of the city, um, it has transformed that part of the city. The other thing is, which really annoys my clients, uh, even to this day, they used to have a million. Now it's, it's about 750,000. It's quite old, this building. Businesses a year. They never, it was never supposed to be a tourist attraction. Well, that's good. The street alongside here has now gone from really a street you wouldn't want to be in with lots of interesting um, different trades and, and coffee and, and, and eating, of course, but other things. And also involving some people that make things. And I've got a very soft spot for people that make things because it's a form of urban entertainment to see people making a chair, for example. It's fantastic. And they might sell the chair. And it's more interesting than Marks and Spencers. <laughs> Although I'm a great defender of Marks and Spencers because it's the best knickers and socks in the world, but certainly. But here, in this particular slide, this the council chamber, the main council chamber was here in the middle of this building, 
there was the, the bar for the politicians at the end. And I like hanging out. The, I like the bar space a lot. It's great. I realized then that all the decisions were taken in the bar, and therefore the debate in the council chamber was really just a charade, because they knew what the result was going to be. I suppose I'm just naive, you know. Anyway, it's not going to rush over that. Now, being here in New Zealand, I can enjoy talking about cricket as opposed to rugby. <laughs> Because you lost to Australia, I think, yesterday. Wasn't it? Anyway, sorry, sorry for that. <laughs> but I'm showing this. This is at Headingley, um, which is in Leeds. It's one of our test grounds that where visitors play. But it's not the best slide of it, but it doesn't matter. The point about this is it's got all the sort of media stand and catering and changing and all those other facilities that you'd expect in the main stand of, a, of an important cricket ground. But when it's not the cricket season, it's the university. So all the catering is done by parts of the university, which is good, so the learning process. The media section, which is quite big, converts very nicely into a big lecture room and a big, uh, big wall comes down. But it actually helps pay for something. Without the, the, the that combination of you know, that dual use, it would not have happened because it's, as everything, money is important. More recently, there's 350 apartments, uh, office, shopping. There's always shopping, isn't there? Get on my nose. And a church in Rotterdam. But here, and there's a lot to say about this, but there are three things I'll confine myself to. The red bit at the end, which is apartments, I didn't notice at the time, 80% was sold to the Chinese because it's red. Just passing that on, just think it might be useful. Um, <laughs> I was trying to make a building that would break down the, the urban mass and also to have these reflections. I also wanted to make um, balconies here that you might actually use. So all the agents who often advise clients and architects as to what to do with a commercial building, they're really bored. I think they really damage everything, actually because they don't know anything. All they can tell you is what sold before. But that doesn't mean to say that something else might not sell. And here, as, by having balconies, you know, because they want, they want balconies, but they want floor-to-ceiling glass, and you know, we're selling the view and all that. Yeah, you, I'm sure many of you have heard all that before. They said, no, we're going to put stuff in front of the balcony. So you could be on the balcony, and actually you can have shadows. They come into, in, into the apartment. It's more interesting. And you feel a sense of enclosure, dare I say, coziness on the balcony. I'll tell you what hasn't happened here is that very often, particularly in London, the balcony becomes the place where you put dead plants and dead bikes. <laughs> and it's not very attractive. But we've got over that here. And this is part of a much bigger master plan, dare I say, Luda, um, for the new uh, central station, um, which has been done. So this has all been done. There's the church on the right. We knocked the church down to build a church. Sounds a bit odd, but actually in that church, in the basement, as they always had, was um, is a drugs bar. For they, they do a lot of work with the with the local drug addicts, and behind, which is why we built a new church because there was no space otherwise. Um, we built I can't remember how many rooms it is, but quite a lot to house refugees. So the church here does a fantastic job, and therefore it's worth doing. So I'm very proud of this. Church. I've given lectures in it. 
I won't talk about this in China, and neither this film because it doesn't work. And up to date, now this is in London right now. Um, I think we'll get planning permission. I did my public consultation <laughs> just before I came here, and um, that was fine. It's near the elevated section of the M4, so you would pass this as you come in from Heathrow Airport if you're going into town. And um, I apologize for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about. I can't say it now any other way. Um, but what I like about this project, it was initiated by a local need for a bus depot. Good, isn't it? I like that. And so the bus depot is down at the bottom. On top is a park. Then in these sort of pod-like things, there is startup offices and this residential, residential, residential. This is a car showroom, which obviously addresses the, um, uh, the, the highway. So, so residential, residential. This will be in, a, in what we call Vanta Black, so it reflects no light at all, so it looked like a black hole. That's just my sort of, just I won't do that. And, but I know from the public consultation, I feel that we're on safe ground because the locals have already given this building a nickname, which is always a good sign. Some architects try to give a nickname, or some investors even, and it never works because it's not real. But this is real, and they call this the jellyfish. Fine. That's good. I, I quite like the name. To make a diaphanous thing like a jellyfish would be beautiful. You know, could we do that? It's a bit like working with the locals to actually create something. It's a bit the same as painting. You know. Could you really build a painting that you do? The answer is yes, but you might spend a long time finding it out. So that's going on now. And then there's the park on top with coffee, and inevitably there'll be the children's playground, which I hate. I don't know why they have to sort of play on such ugly things, do you? <laughs> and if you try and do something else, they say, oh, no, it doesn't meet health and safety. Oh, <laughs> they go out into the countryside occasionally and play on really dangerous things like dead trees and hanging over rivers or whatever. Why not here? Now I'm going to rush through this. This is a hotel, part of a larger development in Almira in, uh, in Holland. And um, I like Holland, except they're exceptionally mean. But they're very nice people apart from that particular quality. <laughs> I hope there's no Dutch people here. <laughs> I bet there are. Oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think that, I mean, I think we're very unfair to the, to the Scottish, actually, thinking they're very careful with their money. <laughs> we do. But actually, I think you're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Followed by people from South Yorkshire, then Scotland. Okay, uh, this is my, just remember it. Anyway. What I like about this project, I think there's a lot of other things, is again, there's shopping, there's a bowling alley, there's a rock concert hall, there's a, there's a bus, a bike shelf for 2,000 bikes, which puzzled me a lot, but I mean, not puzzled me, but it was quite a challenge to do that. And um, it's by a lake and it's all quite pleasant. But when I was 13 or 14, my geography teacher gave us a lecture on what the Dutch were about to do in terms of draining the Zuider Zee to make the polders and everything else sitting there. And little did you think when you're 13 or 14 that you'd actually be building buildings on this land because somehow you never believe your teacher, do you? Oh, that's very interesting. Oh, never happened. 
Not sure I actually thought that at the time, but anyway, Celebi. Then, remember the shadows in Menorca? Well, then you, you, I also teach in Vienna, and um, it's good to work with students. So this is a passive house made out of um, timber pallets, as you see. Fantastic, beautifully done, a lot of research. It passed all the tests for, um, for its green credentials. We got some money from uh, local sponsors for the glass, of course, and everything else. Uh, built it in Vienna, took it, uh, took it apart, took it to the Venice Biennale. The students lived in it for four or five weeks. It's a great project. Now it's back in Vienna, of course. But as architectural practices, we could never do that. Within universities, you can do things, you know, and if there is ready sponsorship, and it also contributes so that in, when this is in Vienna, it contributes a lot to the people who are actually living in Vienna. They go past it and say, oh, it looks really interesting. They're invited in, they make, make them a cup of coffee, it's free. So why wouldn't you go in? That would never happen in Holland, by the way. You had to pay for it. But <laughs> <laughs> then there are other things I'm touching to. This is in New Cross in London, and this is a, a school of architecture. As an architect, art, very good reputation. Goldsmiths College, and when we were commissioned to, uh, to do this, they were saying, well, I was trying to find out what problems they had, because it has a fantastic reputation. And they said, well, because it has a good reputation, it has lots of students who would like to study there from overseas, and they go and do their due diligence, go down to the school, they know the course is all right, but when they were in New Cross, they didn't feel that they were in London, therefore they went to study somewhere else. So I, I thought about that a lot, and um, that's why I built at this level this, some people say it's a smoking terrace. Well, I am a friend of the smoker, I have to say, but it's not, it's not for, that, for that reason. And because from there, you can see the Houses of Parliament, uh, St. Uh, Paul's Cathedral, uh, right down to Canary Wharf and beyond. It's a fantastic view. You have no doubt you are in central London, and there's a station opposite which will get you to Charing Cross in about... 17, I'm not sure, 16, 17 minutes. Anyway, you're in the middle of London. They didn't have a problem anymore. And that's, as architects, you can deal, it's important to be able to talk to you and they say, this is a problem we have. It wasn't a part of my briefing, but it's something that just comes out through conversation. So hanging around your client, I think, is quite important. In Cardiff, I built a big lake in Cardiff, built a barrage and everything else, but en route to that, my client, the Cardiff Bay Development Corporation, wanted to build a visitor centre to actually inform the people of Cardiff and also to inform potential investors. Because the purpose of the lake was to increase the land value around the lake, which it, which it has done, I can report that now. But I had to build this tight budget based on my disposable cigarette lighter, totally, which is okay. And um, people really liked it. So they thought they'd have 25,000 visitors a year on, in the first year, they had 450,000. It seemed to maintain itself for the five years. It's supposed to last for five years. Then they're going to get rid of it because they want to build another building on this side. And the locals said, no, you can't do that. And so we moved it 400 metres around the corner, upgraded it to give it a longer life. And actually, I think it was just two or three years ago they removed it altogether, which I was happy about because it was struggling a bit because it was not designed to last for a particularly long time. But what I do like is the fact that it's not, people went because it was unusual. Now, it doesn't look that unusual. This was 1989. And people hadn't seen things like this, and therefore the people went. And, of course, because they go, they then find out something about their city 
and what's going to happen to it and what the future is, and they can sit down and talk to people. Hey, that's good, isn't it? I think that's, that's all right. This building has been copied now around the world, particularly in China, but you expect that. Even the Dutch have copied this, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but not so good. <laughs> and I, I'm still very proud of this building. It's a tiny project, but I'm, I, I'm proud of the lake that we created. I think that's good, because it's a freshwater lake, and there's, you know, there's a 14-meter tidal range in Cardiff. That meant the bay was nearly always mud, so it was not very attractive. Now you can use it. You can go swimming. It's freshwater. You can go fishing. Um, we clean up the rivers. So actually, uh, salmon and trout are beginning to go back up the rivers so with fish bars, et cetera, et cetera. <sighs> Raffles City in Beijing. I, I didn't really, I'll maybe show you something later on, better things. I don't like this building very much because it's all shopping. I mean, apart from the hotel and some offices and, and residential. I mean, it's a decent building. It's OK. But in China, which I've been in China for a long time, they're always saying, ah, oh, Mr. Althop, who do this, who do that? And they'd give you a list of things they want, and at the end it will always be, and shopping. <laughs> now, certainly in Shanghai, which I know better than you, and, you know, how many Gucci bags can you buy? <laughs> it's unbelievable, and it's just completely overshopped, which is probably a good thing to go through that and, and get on with it. This is absolutely up to date, although I don't have the, I'm not actually allowed to show you the photographs, but I'm doing two metro stations in Toronto um, for the extension of what they call the Spadina Line. There might be some people that know Toronto here. And Toronto, I like, I've been going there a long time and done a few things there, and I like doing the, the, these stations, but it's absolutely clear, you know, the, the form of Toronto is that there's a, there's a very dense core, getting more dense, and it spreads out for miles, and, and when it spreads out for miles and miles of, you know, one and two-story residential elements with more subdivisions and more subdivisions, poor people that live there, they have no option but to get in the car. So this, it's a tiny step in the right direction, but it obviously helps. But when I won this job, it was there really... Um, I said, well, I've done tube stations and things before in London and stations. They said, what do you want to do with these stations? I said, I want to create a space where you might actually fall in love with someone when you're waiting for a train on a miserable Monday morning. <laughs> Could you do that? You know, it's a good objective. You know, one assumes that the train's going to run vaguely on time and you get on there and they'll be comfortable and it's all efficient. So that's all fine, but there must be another element. So on the left, this computer-generated image, which is actually, that's all virtually built now, um, the columns, which is slightly like Spanish uh, talliers, as they call them, so they're quite so crude and ancient, they're, they're, they're done by, by my friend Bruce. You get head up, fed up with uh, hearing me about it. And that's called Finch. And then there's this one, which is part of a bus station. I know there's a man here that did the bus interchange in Christchurch. Put your hand up. I saw him outside. Thank you. I only have one question for you. Is It's called the bus interchange. What does it interchange with? It doesn't, does it? It's a nice job that you've done. Uh, come on, don't make it up. It's not, <laughs> it's not an interchange. <laughs> 
It's a bus station, all right? <laughs> With a car park under construction next door to it, and then another car park further. This is, to me, a picture. I, I have to say, I was totally, I, was, I felt very depressed in, in Christchurch. And it seemed to me there's a lack of, what do I know, you know, a lack of political decision to actually do some things which should actually ease what is actually a trauma, really. You know, and that whole nonsense about not rebuilding the, the, the cathedral, is, uh, that should be the first thing they did in the square, to re-establish the original heart of the city. The other stuff will take longer, and it's obviously money creeps into it, of course. But I don't understand why now I should go, it's the first time I've been since the earthquake. I didn't recognize where I was. It was difficult for John and I to find somewhere to get a drink. It was miserable. No people on the street, none. Saturday night, 9, 9.30, you'd expect a few people around, wouldn't you? None. The ghost town. There's a job to do there. Anyway, that's way off my subject here. This is a bus station. <laughs> and this is a bus interchange, because it interchanges with the metro. Okay, just to make a point. <laughs> <laughs> I was there standing underneath that cantilever the other day. It was very, very windy. I thought, I think maybe I'll stand somewhere else. But anyway, <laughs> and then uh, I can't show this got much further than this, but there's the, the, the roof goes down in the belly. So you come down either end from the entrances. You can't see the other end, and then gradually it reveals itself closely. And then there's a whole artwork on this particular station where you can, from your phone, you can put in messages. Like, will the lady in red meet me tonight? Eight o'clock. <laughs> I had a lot of difficulties with that. You know, the politicians say, no, 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 people write rude things. Well, they will. They'll get bored with it, though. And the people will be more clever. And anyway, it doesn't matter. This is in China. It's an art and agricultural park, which I'll... I'll, I'll that's where you get married. In it. It's another station in London, Blackfriars Station. What I like about this station, just to keep to the to the main points, is that there's lots of difficulties because of the protected views of St Paul's, but that's you, know, you can work with that. But it's a whole. It reflect. It, it reflects how. The use of London has changed, because the original Blackfriars station, you can only get off on the north bank of the Thames. Now there's lots of interesting things, arguably more interesting things, on the south bank of the Thames. So by putting the station on the bridge, you then have what I call an infrastructural station. So it actually adds to the expanding use and, and variations of use and function uh, in the city and how things have changed since I was a boy. There's the uh, finished result on the left. That's inside. It's very simple. This is North Greenwich tube station at um, the Dome in London. I'm not going to talk about this. I'd rather get on to some other things. Uh, I, how am I doing for time, Lou? About 15 minutes or so. Oh, really? Yeah. OK. <laughs> I, I haven't been looking, so I knew I can rely on you. <laughs> Good. Also in London is this uh, laboratories, medical research laboratories which I like. I haven't really got the right images, but I worked a lot with the, with, particularly with the scientists working here. They said they'd like to work in a garden. But coming from that simple conversation, I said, well, okay, we can actually create these sort of, you know, I'm stretching a point, clouds, and we can have one very large um, 
laboratory. There are lots of other laboratories which can't be subdivided. But this one, so there's direct line of sight from the, from the write-up areas back to the experiments they've set up. That's good. And it also means that the, the various people working here actually spend more time talking to each other. Now, I want my medical research um, technicians and scientists to be talking to each other. That's how it all starts, really, I, I believe. Then there's this beautiful pod here, which is suspended, um, which is based on a cancerous cell. I always find that quite ironic, that beautiful things are represented by something beautiful, which is something very ugly, but nonetheless. Um, and that is for children. And children go in, and there's a fantastic exhibition in there where they can actually go and study their own bodies at the molecular level. It's been very, very popular, really popular, to the point where we have to do something else. But this is inside one of the seminar rooms, the, the one we call Spiky. It's like trying to create a place here which has no horizon. You don't actually know how... It's like a, a hand that holds you, and then the skin doesn't touch the hand, goes around it, and you don't know how big it is. It's quite, it is quite... I shouldn't say this, but I think it's quite magical. That's a part of our job. We can do that, I think. And it is our job to do that, if we can. And because the centre of the cell, as it's called, that, that globular thing has been very successful, we, and you'll like this, Ludo, they now need another cell which will be outside the building in the courtyard, attached to a bridge. And this is based on a brain cell, uh, which they also do a lot of research in, 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 into the brain. And this allows them to extend their, their activities with children. We got planning permission for this in eight weeks from Tower Hamlets. You'll get used to that. <laughs> Your former employee, <laughs> one of them. And uh, we need about two and a half million for this little building. They've got about just under two at the moment, so we will do that soon. Lula mentioned this one, and I don't want to say too much about it. This is the Peckham Library which is part of regeneration of what was actually almost dangerous, but certainly run down, part of London. And I think it, it helps that you build a public library and a public swimming pool. I, I didn't do the swimming pool um, in, in this part of town. There's no uh, air conditioning. It's all natural. But on the north side, which is here, our north is your south, um, there are very few windows. And on this, yeah, that's not, yeah, and on, on the our north side, then there are all these coloured areas of glass. Again, coming back to one of my themes, what I didn't know when I did this, by placing the main body of the library on level four, which doesn't sound very high, but you can see St Paul's Cathedral, and you can see it's not very far away. So suddenly you don't feel like a rather remote suburb of London, you feel a part of London. And I think one can exploit these views to great effect in some parts. I mean, I, I imagine that the deprivation in Peckham is far worse than anything you have here in, in, uh, in Auckland. But sadly, this is always a dilemma because of this, and it has a very positive effect. You can't afford to live in Peckham anymore, for young people anyway, or younger people. In fact, I don't think younger people can afford to live in London at all. And it's interesting to speculate what's, what they're doing. They're, you know, the, the, we're in the digital age, and they're all digital people. Is that they can go and buy a lot of space in run-down seaside resorts like Margate, Folkestone, things like that. 
quite very pleasant towers, very decent when they were, when they were built. And of course, they have the fast train connection because of the Eurostar. They get into London, but they couldn't afford to do that every day. So you might come in one day a week, stay with the mate in London, and go back the following day. So you just have the meetings face to face, which we all need from time to time. Everything else is done from their own house. I think that's interesting in a way. I think it's really, and somewhat inevitable. And, and those places will become unaffordable. Then that begs the question, where next and how and whatever. But you can only go so far ahead. This is a car park at Wembley I did. A car park is a car park. Uh, this is in Toronto. A condo. Do you use the word condo here? Good. I love you more and more. <laughs> it's a very ugly word, isn't it? Really ugly. I'm going to buy in a condominium. Now, the thing I want to show you here, which I think is relevant, is there's one city in the north, well, I did more than one, and this is related to master planning. And this is where I worked with the people in all sorts of creative ways, getting them to draw and paint for more than a year, actually. And it was very enjoyable, the, the old, the young, the police, the politicians, the business people, uh, the Asian community. Better if you get the Asian community with the other rest of because I don't like to make those sort of divisions, um, because they're all the same to me. Um, and you get them to do what we, as architects, do. Draw, paint, everything else, talk. And it's what I call making a noise, hence the name of the book that I showed you earlier on. And your sense is that your job is to try and make sense of the noise. And what I'm going to show you now is, I wouldn't call it a master plan, call it a, a master vision, because you can never guarantee that a master plan will ever be done, and neither should you. I think I prefer the word evolutionary plan, if you like, but something which is, can't be challenged on the basis that it can't be done. A vision can always be done, might, might just take longer but it actually is there to stimulate a conversation and some sense of excitement. So we then made this movie, or actually my son made this movie, who works with me, alongside me, um, to put in the cinemas locally, because you couldn't see everyone in Bradford. And we screened it there.
I always have to wait for this bit. You'll see Bradford is a great city, ruined by investors and others building horrible cheap buildings, principally in the 70s, late 60s, 70s and early 80s. And so, for example, when Bradford was rich, it was a very rich city, at the city hall is a beautiful building, but you couldn't see it. And one of the buildings they had built, um, which was in the way, was the police station. Hey, that was quite good. That was very popular when I suggested that maybe the police station goes. Yes. <laughs> There's another one, of course, now. But um, it seemed to us that what we had to do was to create this, concentrating on the topography suggests sort of three valleys that lead to a centre. The centre didn't exist. And uh, we had to create a place in, in, in the middle. But you need to set the beginnings of it. Well, I'm glad to report this is the centre today. We built the lake. That's good. Again, it's a bit like Cardiff. You increase the, the, the value because of the water. Everyone likes water. You can't, there's a reservoir under this lake, so you can actually empty it. And if you can have hard standing, just in case they win the League Cup, which is highly unlikely, I have to say. <laughs> um, but civic occasions, they've got that. And you can half fill it, so in the summer, when it's quite good, you get children, drunks and students playing in, in, the, in the water. It's good. I really, really like it. And now there's a lot more investment going into. And how they spend that, I don't know, we gave them framework, but you know, it, will, it should never be fixed, in my view. And that's why I'm not all that keen on master planning. You can do a few things, and in this case, uh, lucky, I don't know. We did it. And it was the most important thing. This is a primary school, nursery school. But I like to fiddle, you know, bits of card. I, just, I know I'm not going to get it because I've only got five minutes left, or four minutes now, I swear. Um, this is building over an existing building in Hamburg. I didn't really think about it too much. We did it, and it's by the Elbe, and that's great. Um, but this is the grumpy part of my talk, which I will miss out. Uh, so, you know, an old person's home, why would you want to recreate in that area? Huh? Why would you? You wouldn't. Horrible. It's for people like this. <laughs> yeah. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And you go into an old person's home, and it's nothing, none of those things. Terrible. And I also feel strongly that some of the things we got rid of, of the brutalists. Well, I'm interested in architecture. But some things which were fashionable, they go out of fashion, people hate it. Leave it long enough and it comes back. And, it's, and therefore, I think we have to be very careful what we get rid of, really. Maybe an extreme thing, you say, get rid of nothing. Uh, clearly, that's a complete contradiction, like the police station in, uh, in, in, in Bradford. But it's something I'm thinking about now. And otherwise, if you don't do these things, you make people grumpy. <laughs> Washing paint dry is one of my favorite activities. Sometimes I do stand up and get my bend over. And here's just a link between the drawing process, and this is more of a drawing than a painting, and architectural proposition. And uh, of course, these large bits of canvas often, not always, they represent evidence of a conversation.
You're very quiet. Good. I haven't got time to explain it, but I think it explains itself. <laughs> but, you know, we've all got this equipment in our studios, haven't we? And sometimes I think we don't use it properly. And this is one to get a message across to a, to a university campus. Where there's lots of fantastic things going on inside the university, in the middle of a city. And no one in the city knows that these things go on. So you can use your machine to do a simple message, really. Maybe. Oh. That had sound. That's how you communicate. It's very important. Good, I'll just move on. Playing with Windows. It's in Toronto. We'll get over that. I then go into a whole spiel about prisons, which, having spent, I spent a lot of time in prison, working with the, with the prisoners. Ah, oh, yeah, this is what I wanted to get to. This is what I actually believe in. Is again taking 400 homes in Manchester, being asked to knock them down to replace them with 1,500 homes and other facilities in the inner eastern city. Um, and there's a pub. They could never get anyone to open the pub because it was dangerous. It's partly because the council put all the people with the same problems together, and then of course they, that multiplies. That's not a good idea. I opened the pub and used that as the centre. You know, they could get alcohol which is fine, but then they worked. And they were very rude to me when I first went there, you know. What are you doing coming up here with your bloody London mardi-dar ways, you know? And I said, no, no, we're going to work on this together, and we did. And cut a long story short, this was the key drawing. And it's very, very simple. I wanted to sit facing south, looking over a little body of water, at something interesting, with a pint of beer in their hand, and then some housing behind. Um, we said that some people we could, and which is what we've done, is to refurbish some of the existing houses, leaving some of the terraces if that's what they wanted. So we've done that. We built um, some other affordable housing, and we built mixtures of affordable and unaffordable, if that's the opposite of affordable. <laughs> but or, everyone, you wouldn't know who is relatively rich and who is, and I'm proud of that. That's good. But you get, life is quite simple. And you can get to it, but there's a process that you need to go through, I believe. So this is the unaffordable and affordable thing.
things about us are made to express our own free spirits and desires for the colorful things that spell sheer fun. Stop that there because love is it is. <laughs> Goes on and, and there it is finished. It's all right. You can, come on, I'll just flick through a few things. You're not done. You know, we can hopefully have a conversation with uh, uh, yeah. of, the, of the audience. So how about that? That's all right. That'd be great. So look, would you mind putting your hands together for for Will? That's great. We could sit down or we could stand up, but I mean, I think it could be good to see everybody and uh, we could end up being lost down there. So I just wanted to well, say thank you for that. Sitting down sounds quite good Do you want to sit me? down? Yeah. Okay. Well, why, don't you get, why don't you get yourself settled? Thank you very much. I just want to say thanks, Will. I mean, it was, what a tour de force. It was quite a um, trip down memory lane. But also, um, I love what you said about getting to know your clients a bit more. I think that's a, a cool thing. Um, hang, out, hang out with them a bit more is a, a good way to understand them. Uh, so that, that was something I took away. So look, let's try and organise some um, questions from the floor. Uh, there's a lot of people here tonight, so let's see how we can manage the uh, microphone. So team, uh, who's, who's going to go first for a question? It's nice to sit down. Okay. It's all right for you lot, you've been sitting there. <laughs> who's got the microphones? I can't see the... Oh, Kelly, okay. Is anyone going to put their hand up? There we go. There's somebody at the front here. There's a man. Boy. I was just wanting to know if you, as part of your creative process, do you introduce constraints? Either from your own values or at all, or from your own values, or, yeah. It's a really good question. Thank you for that. Um, I try not to introduce constraints, but inevitably, they exist, but not induced by me, by other circumstances. And I, 
I don't have a, any philosophy anymore. It's been my life's work is getting rid of all that because I don't think it actually informed you know, theory, philosophy does not make your work, in my view, doesn't make your work as an architect better. So, I mean, it's one of the things I quite like about Hedgehog and Moron is that I can't predict what they're going to do if they're given a job, a project here in, in uh, Auckland, for example. I, I, I wouldn't know what to do. But if you gave it to Zaha, ha, 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 I could probably get it 90% right before you see anything. You know? And I think that's not so good. So you know, it's about trying and, and responding to circumstances. I think that's not a theory, really, because it's bloody obvious, isn't it? That's what you do. Listening to people, I think that's good. Thanks very much. And there's a, somebody right at the back looks like... Uh, I can't see in the dark. Um, well, you spoke at the beginning of your talk um, when you're speaking about going down to, I think it was Spain, and building the walls and, and sculptures with your friend about play. Um, do you, it seemed to me that you take that through your work and through the process, but um, it implied that you played at the beginning. Um, does that continue through and all the way through to the construction? I, uh, I hope it does. It does sometimes get more difficult when you have to deal with some hairy-ass builders. But, I don't, but I, you, try, you try to do it. And I, I do firmly believe that if you start off with fun, I think fun is a really serious business. Um, you know, so it's not easy. And uh, anyway, but you start off with fun and everyone's having fun. You're more likely to end up with a a product of joy that will create the right sort of response in, in, in people, uh, users or whatever it is. But I do firmly believe that. And it sort of makes life more livable, I think. So there's nothing wrong with Pinot Noir, quiet smoke, drawing. I, I fell out with the press, really. I haven't seeked any press coverage for a long time. Now, four or five years. I mean, there are bits that come out. Um, you know, because I feel post-press, really, depressed. <laughs> and it's good. It's much more relaxing. Because I don't... Th I think the quality of the, of the critics is... I hope there's none here. Maybe there is. I don't care. It's pathetic. You become slovenly. You just go on Google. Say, oh, he did that and that and that without really understanding anything. And they just regurgitate it. And I got fed up with that. Actually. I'm a bit post-award as well, actually. I think there's too many awards. I don't know how it is here in, in, um, in New Zealand. I think in that run-up, you know, from mid-September to Christmas, you could get an award every week if you wanted to. In London. I mean, why would you want that? It becomes meaningless. But it's, it's become an industry in itself, so a lot of other people make money out of the awards. And certainly people that win them don't make anything, not they're looking for that, of course. Best award I ever got was the Galvanized Steel Award. I really like that <laughs> because, no, it's great. What you got was a watering can, which is really useful. <laughs> I still use it today. <laughs> and I like, I like gardening. So I feel more, I feel very relaxed. Um, and I think that's. That's maybe a better answer than, than fun in some ways in the context of this room. To feel relaxed means you can do things and you just enjoy the whole process and hopefully everyone else involved, because there's always a lot of people involved in one way or another, enjoys it too.
Great question. A man in the middle here, just on the left there. Do you mind waiting, sir, just because everyone, there's a large audience behind you, probably can't hear you. Here comes the microphone, there you go. I just noted your comment about urban planners. Um, what do you think the role of the urban planner should be in regard to your, your projects or projects in general? I think it's a serious you know, question that, or your rather iconic or iconoclastic statements are quite have a serious intent behind them. Uh, they do, that's for sure. When I was in my 20s, I don't remember anybody of people that were called urban designers. There were architects who were interested in urban designers, but it wasn't a profession itself. Not getting at you, <laughs> but I can. Go for it, go on. But I do think they've taken on a role. Um, and one of the things I didn't get to is we're doing 3,000 new homes in the Thames Estuary in a place called Purfleet, which, actually, which I'm interested in because actually you go there and it's a shit heap. But the more you go there, you realize that it's actually not a shit heap. It's like familiarity reads, breeds content, really, which I'm interested in that. I mean, I think that's... And there's nothing wrong with that. And that, therefore, that must be how the people actually live there, how they feel about the place. So be careful. Uh, what you, mind you, it's going to be a severe change, whatever they do. It's the center of, you know, it's the, the world center in Perfleet of the Dracula Society. Isn't that good? So there are sort of weird people. I like that sort of other thing which is underlying these people. You look there and you just sort of brush it off. It's nothing to do with it. But I don't think... We have a lady which imposes on us. I've known for years and she's quite nice. She's a placemaker. I said, shut up, you know. I don't really need you. And she did quite a lot of work with Prince Charles. Prince Charles isn't in the room tonight, is he? <laughs> um, he left yesterday. Ah, oh, thank God for that. But uh, uh, she, she did it on that um, Poundsbury. You know, she, she worked with that team on Poundsbury. I said, I don't want to build Poundsbury. You know, it's all right. It might be better than most um, private sector development-led greenfield developments, which is what it is. But... It's not the only way to do things. That's what I object to. There's not an imperative to do it this way, this way, this way. If you do this, this, and this, you'll end up with a good place. And, and I'm put in mind of places from the 50s and 60s, like Harlow Newtown. I think Harlow Newtown is amazing. I think it's really good. And it's sort of grown into itself, and people like it. No, inevitably, there's always problems with places, but I think there are not many problems there. So I, I, I question, I, I, to be absolutely clear to answer your question, I think architects on the whole are pretty good. And we, are, we have a sensibility. And probably this, a lot of the decisions that we will, may, we, will, we will make together with other people will be good decisions that people will respond to because it's more human. Great question. Um, gentleman, Pete, as uh, the microphone's coming, Pete. Perhaps this question and one, one more after this one, I think, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, thank you for that. Fantastic, uh, as always. I have a couple of things to say. Um, one is that the um, Dutch woman next to me is one of the most generous people oh, I, right. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but she's not in Holland, is she? <laughs> um, the other thing is um, we see a lot of uh, the process from... Uh, paintings in Mallorca to you know, a building 
you know, a whole series of beautiful buildings all around the, around the joint. But in between that, uh, because I'm an architect, I know that in between that are thousands of hours of extremely hard work by a whole lot of people. Um, and the way that you manage to keep that process so that it uh, has the integrity or quality or fun or, wh or whatever you're trying to achieve by the end of that um, long and torturous process is a really interesting one to some of the people in the room, the architects probably, maybe not the others. But would you like to talk about that process and maybe the people involved in that process? Uh, because I know that it's not just you. Uh, there are many people involved, of course, including the people, whatever that means. But um, I think the structural engineers are very important. And I think we're very lucky in the UK have some really brilliant structural engineers. And I like where I'm given the opportunity, not always, is that they're sitting at the table with you before you've done anything, before you know what you're doing. So, same with M&E engineers. Slightly more difficult. They have to stretch your imagination a bit. But anyway, that's something else. But it's anyone that's got something to say that can contribute. And not necessarily re restricted to, to their own discipline. And most of these people I know very well. I mean, they're friends as well as consultants. I think that's important. What I don't like in, in, in very much in, very often in Europe is that you're constrained because of the EU procurement rules. So I know I want to work with him because that would be the best result. But I might not be allowed to work with him because she has made a cheaper bid. That's frustrating. It's like... Working, I love working with artists. That's good fun. Now, on public, like the, the Cardiff Bay Barrage, which I didn't show tonight, um, has a lot of artwork on it. And suddenly, out of the blue, pops this art consultant, lovely lady, knows nothing. But you have to go through a whole process of, she has to recommend some artists. I'm allowed to add one or two, but I only added one, in fact. I knew who I wanted to work with. I said, we'll go through this process. You're getting paid probably quite, I don't know how much, but probably quite well. And we're going to have this guy anyway. And to back that up, because I won't work. I think it's very necessary. It's mutual respect, knowing each other. That's how it works. So I'm old enough to have gone to the Benjamin Britten's uh, War Requiem at Coventry Cathedral when it opened in 1962. Very powerful. I never went back until about four or five years ago. And... Uh, I think that's another building that was very popular, then went out of fashion, and has now settled down. I think it's an amazing building. And one of the reasons it's an amazing building is it's got an amazing contribution from lots of different artists and craftsmen. It all seems to work together really well. And you think, why is that? Because they're all Basil Spence's mates. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And I think that's... Okay, so sometimes I think we lose the plot in terms of being too even-handed in terms of the, uh, of the various people that actually contribute to making part of, let's face it, if it's here, your city. And uh, I don't think that works in people's interests, really. But it's a great thing about getting older, I don't care. You can say what you like, can't you? Thanks, Pete. Uh, there's one more question, I think we'll wrap it up after this lady. Hi. Um, you were talking about... Hand up, where are you? Over there on the left. Oh, right, thank you. Uh, you were talking about some housing in Britain that were um, where poor people were housed and that they were all going to be pulled down, but there was then a consultation process 
where some of them remained and some new housing was built as well. We have exactly that situation going on here in Tamaki, where in November, while everyone's talking about flags, 2,800 state houses are being transferred to the Tamaki Redevelopment Company, and that what's happening is that this week, uh, some of the houses are being demolished already, so they're bulldozing down these these uh, great built state houses, built in the 1930s and 40s, built very strongly. How did those people get to be heard to have some of the housing that remained and to have a consultation process? Because that isn't happening here and state housing is being turned into social housing and being bought out by corporations and uh, the people haven't got a say and all these people in their homes are in a very desperate state and I just needed to know how um, that change happened to have a consultation. That's possibly a complicated question about something I know nothing about. But I can only put it in the context of my own experience, which might be very different to, to here. But what you're describing sounds completely unnecessary to me. And it's certainly true that many... Um, Houses that were built, particularly in the 30s, were well built, good spatial standards, probably need some just tender loving care, and they'd be good. So I, I have no imagination of what you're talking about in terms of the housing stock. It seems to me, out of any group of people, how many there are, there'll be some people that would like to get out anyway. So you need to try and identify, you need to go through a process, and you need the right people to involve them in this. You need um, the private sector, because the private sector is inevitably, uh, rightly or wrongly, involved in these things, who actually quite like people as well. Because actually, they, if they do the right job, it's certainly profitable for them. Maybe not as much profit. And I think profit is kind of an interesting subject. I've done a lot of work in Germany over the years. And Strabag, which is a large German contractor, they also do developments. I've worked for them. They all work on a profit margin. This is both for the development and the construction, between 7 and 8%. Unbelievably low. But they do it very well. They tend to go a bit more slowly. It sounds like it's nothing to do with your question. Um, but they'll always make sure they get the 7 or 8%. But in the UK, I don't know what it's like here, you, know, you get some investors that won't, they won't even look twice unless they think they're going to make 20% or more. And then the, 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 there's quite a, there's a lot of stuff being built, particularly in the London area in the southeast at the moment. And the profit margins created, um, taken by contractors is just disgusting. And all that profit is money that could go into the quality of the housing, the quality of the space, and you know, however you want to spend it. It's actually their money, the people who live there, and their money are people who are going to buy in or, or rent in, in that new situation. But... Well, all I can say is, just open a pub. You know, I mean, it helps when people come and get them and give them a voice so that you can identify what it is they would like. It sounds like it might be too late in your case, but that's what we did. Although I, I must say, in the private sector, part of my clients is Manchester uh, Council, who's part of it, and then the private sector. He, I mean, he's a really good guy, so it's lucky in that case. We're all aligned to try and do something which is going to be interesting and good. Make people happy. That's what we're trying to do. Thanks, Will. I mean, it's a difficult question. 
to answer. And Madam, maybe I can uh, get in contact with you at the end and maybe point you in the direction of the people that are uh, running the program and perhaps get you in front of some of the right people to have your question answered um, sort of on, on a more specific basis for what's happening here. So thanks all for trying. Um, right, I'd just like to thank you all for the questions. I'd like to just uh, welcome uh, Councillor Chris Darby to the, the stage just to wrap up and to uh, give a vote of thanks to Will. Uh, Chris is the design champion, the political design champion, also the deputy chair of the Auckland Development Committee. Chris. Uh, thank you, thank you, Ludo, and uh, particularly thank you to Will. Um, I do also want to acknowledge those that put the, uh, the cash and the kind on the table to allow these events to take place, these Auckland conversations. And they are again uh, Jib and, and Razine and Product Spec, so thanks to you again. Um, and uh, we look forward to your support and the support of others in the commercial sector to allow these conversations to carry on. Hey, tonight's been a, a touching night for me. I've been sitting in the front row here and I've been to a few of these. And of course there's some flat ones and look, you've got to have flat ones to have some good ones. And tonight has really touched me, Will. And uh, I think from that opening slide uh, of what looked like some jewellery objects, it was very beautiful. Uh, Reminds me of, uh, many of you will know the work of Warwick Freeman in Auckland here. And uh, they, they were... They, they touched me as an Aucklander by you, sh you showing that slide. But I've I sort of um, had, a, had a little look at your career and you were often referred to as a modernist architect and I don't get that reference at all after seeing you tonight um, and looking at your work tonight. I think there's a lot more in the, in the depth of this man as, as an architect, an artist, a, a fiddler an industrial designer and a few other things I'm sure in there as well. A bit of Miro and uh, Calder I can see come through in many of those buildings. And maybe they're not your references, but, um, but, but they're mine. Um, your career has, um, has in its travels, um, also been troubled with criticism, but that's a good thing. Um, many of your projects were never built, but we're seeing the ones that have been built. Um, you have endured incredible criticism, and that is something that we in Auckland need to be up for. We need to be up for criticism, and to have the, a conversation about a built Auckland that is going to be challenging. And I think we're not quite in that space, and I really invite all of us to start participating, and I think the invitation is, is coming here tonight, um, that if we are going to build uh, a, a vastly improved Auckland that is worthy of of people to be living in it, not just automobiles, that we are going to have to be challenging each other like we haven't done in the past. And uh, that's something that I'm getting out of tonight. Uh, Will's travelled a path with a lot of criticism that's come his way, and out of that criticism he's managed, maybe, I'm just guessing, to get um, 25, 30, 35% of the projects that have been thought through his offices over the years uh, be realised. So we've got some big challenges here and we should not shy away from them. I can't help, you had this uh, image of um, the Rolling Stones up there, Will, and I can't help but sort of think at the very beginning before I saw that image, you, you're more the sort of rock star architect slash artist in the mould of um, a Keith Richards. And I saw that thought in my mind before I saw the slide. Uh, definitely not in the mould of a Justin Bieber, um, which would uh, deliver us a pretty plastic city. Um, so 
very nice evening tonight. I've enjoyed it immensely. Um, Controversy's never been far behind you. It's been your friend as well, and controversy should be the friend of this city as well. There's been a lot of controversy in this city. Port Future, uh, for example, the, the decision of my council there to, to plough ahead and then to be overturned. And uh, thank you to the champions at Urban Auckland, Institute of Architects, Landscape Architects, for entering that conversation and the many others to come to challenge the council. We need that. We're not going to plough ahead and build a, a wonderful Auckland without everybody's very challenging participation. No city turns up without, without that. So um, we need to be you know, unfolding a city here that starts to connect to people uh, a lot more than it has, has done. Uh, and to build it out of the brilliance of our people. And that's a city at 37 degrees south, and I'm delighted to hear Will's reference to not just um, inheriting the European templates um, and bringing them down under. Um, and so often you do hear those references to look, at, look what's happening in Berlin, and it's interesting, and we're seeing a lot of that today. But I, I get from your message here today, Will, is... Uh, remember, we're at 37 degrees south, we're a Pacific city, we're a people of Māori, we're a people of uh, a growing number of Chinese, we're a people of our European um, ancestry as well. Uh, we're, we're not Berlin, we're not at 55 degrees north. We're doing some good things here, and we're doing some things we need to polish up on as well. You've seen our urban renewal agency, Panuku Development Auckland, come out of the blocks, and it's going to be heading off to Manukau as one of its pri priorities. It's going to also be looking at Henderson, uh, maybe Takapuna, maybe Northcote, and some other areas on its list. Uh, we're doing some good work in Tamaki, and I, I heard the last question about community engagement. Um, I think we've got to start moving away from that deadening statutory consultation and, and really genuinely start to connect with people. L big task there. Um, you talk about easing the trauma in Christchurch. I think we've got to ease the trauma in Auckland. Uh, we've inherited a, a, a pretty ba bad sort of car-centric trauma in Auckland. 33% uh, of urban Auckland is asphalt. Time to plough some of that asphalt up and put some people in the place where cars uh, have, have triumphed for, since the 1950s. That template is an outdated template and it won't suit this city going forward. Just won't, doesn't stack up anymore, folks. I think most of us here know that. So thanks for the challenge tonight. Um, we've seen a little bit of Bradford, um, some snippets from your work. Um, you've reminded us not to be a, a Me Too city of, of another place. Um, we've got good bones here to build upon. I know that, and I think, um, but it's got to be more than just that outstanding um, landscape, that natural landscape, be it harbours or volcanic cones. It's got to be what we build upon that landscape. And... Um, Questions are, you know, are being asked of how worthy that built landscape is. We're doing small things, but we don't have time to, 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 to wean ourselves off that old template. We've got to cut the cord because time's up on that. We've got to move quite quickly now. And um, I'm, I'm up for it, and I hope uh, you're up for it. And if we can keep having these conversations in a, in a, in a deep and meaningful way, in a constructive manner, um, um, I think we can pull ourselves up and out of it and onward uh, at a pretty good pace. So challenging thoughts tonight from Will. Um, deepest thanks, Will. I, I've been quite touched by, by your presentation tonight. 
uh, from the opening slide with the jewellery and, and onwards. And um, I would like you all to show your appreciation one final time for Will also. You've been listening to the podcast of Auckland Conversations, brought to you by Auckland Council and our sponsors Jib and Resine. For more information, visit our website, conversations.aucklandcouncil.govt.nz. Auckland Conversations is proudly produced by Tandem Studios.